Wordcast episode 146, go! I'm Dylan Alvento, and today I'm joined by Anya Combs, Senior Outreach of Games at Kickstarter. How are you? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am great. I am expecting important World Cup play-by-plays <laughs> and updates throughout the recording. Yes, I have uh, I have the World Cup happening in front of me. Um, <laughs> and I'm, you know, I'm so excited. This is this is now the last World Cup. So <laughs> this is great. We're done. <laughs> We're done. We're done. We never have to do this again. <laughs> we can finally say that France wins How dare at everything. You? How <laughs> dare you? Croatia is clearly going to win. I have literally <laughs> not watched a single match this entire World Cup. And so I've gotten all of my like updates through Twitter. Yeah, that's basically all that needs to happen anyway. So people are just like, yay, England, go England, man. I really hope they don't screw it up on these, you know, penalty <laughs> kicks. And they're like, whoopsie daisy. <laughs> I'm like, well, okay, well, I, I, I know where the, where the wind's blowing. Yep, yep, yep. That makes sense. Literally did not know that this was the finals until you told me, so. Yep, yep. We, you know, we planned this perfectly, so. Yes, it's great. Um... <laughs> When this goes up in a couple weeks and people are like, oh, man, finally can learn how the World Cup ended. Because <laughs> no one's going to know, really. No, yeah, you can't can't Google it. <laughs> uh, so, how, so how are you? How's life? How's life in Brooklyn? Uh, well, life in Brooklyn is good. I, however, live in Queens. Oh, you're Queens. in Queens, Yeah. Right? That's okay. That's okay. Damn I work it, in Brooklyn. It, I work damn. in Brooklyn, so I can understand why there might be some confusion there. And I am in Brooklyn a lot, so I, you know. I one could say that I half time live in Brooklyn. Right. <laughs> I know there's that weird, isn't there that weird like uh commuter vote thing in New York that if you like work in New York but you live like outside of the city, don't you have like some special privilege? You wouldn't know I mean you wouldn't participate in that because you um, live in the city, but like there I probably I heard that is, yeah. yeah. I know New York's super interesting in a lot of different ways. Like just even like voting out here is totally different than what I'm used to back home in California. So like the first uh, presidential election I voted in was this most recent one. And I, I saw Hillary's name like repeatedly on the ballot. And I was like, I don't understand. Why can't I just vote for her once? And it's because you like, and I don't fully understand this. So I 100% expect to be schooled on, on how incorrect I am on this. But I, it's based on like different parties that are in New York. So if you have like the working family party uh, or like okay. all these multiple parties, like that, that somehow has an effect on something that I still right. don't understand. But so they I all was, filter up into like the Democratic yeah, ticket. Yeah, yeah. And even like this, the, the most recent election that happened, some of the primaries. So I voted for Alexandria Costco-Cortez. Um, Hooray! Oh! France just scored. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, oh, darn it. Gosh, gosh, darn it. Those darn French. <laughs> Those GD Franks. Those darn crepe-eating French. Uh, no, it's fine. It's fine. It just crush will come back in the last minute, as they do. Uh, anyway, so, so I voted for her, but even then it was like, you voted based on different there's like a secondary party and I should okay. probably learn this because I've been in New York almost seven years, but <laughs> you ah. know. Ah. Um, I do know you have to like register for your party, right? Like you have to register yeah. as a Democrat or Republican. Yeah, or independent or, or independent, right? Yeah. No, there are only two parties. There are only two. Just, I'm just kidding. We do live in a two-party country. This is true. Right. 
Um, Don't tell Gary Johnson that. <laughs> my upstairs neighbor is like a very, very strong libertarian. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have signs both in the front and the back of our building because uh, we share like a, a row house, a townhouse kind of thing. Mm. And um, there's just like Gary Johnson and like um, whoever the Virginia governor oh, libertarian yeah. candidate was just like just everywhere outside of our house. So it's just kind of like friends coming over oh so you're a strong libertarian I'm like no uh, no it's just it's it's my neighbor i just oh my gosh but like here in, in virginia you literally go to the poll and they go are you voting democrat or republican or a third party and then they give you that ticket or that mm. ballot and you fill it out oh interesting um, wait is that for presidential and primary and local election or is that just across the board that's how every election works um it was primaries um i don't know how it, it might be that way for no i think it was just primary elections actually yeah okay so th- yeah that so makes they, sense yeah so they asked like which one because obviously like if you were if you were a presidential there would only be one person on the on the ballot right yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just a big check mark just yep checks out <laughs> yeah <laughs> this is who i think's running <laughs> <laughs> that's funny <laughs> so you think you can run oh that would yeah. be a fun reality show <laughs> It's a kind of is a reality show. Anyway, it, enough yeah. politics. Mm-hmm. Enough <laughs> politics. Let's talk about games. Are you only rooting oh, yeah. for Croatia because you're a big reboot developed fan? Is is uh, that is that the reason? I am a huge fan of reboot develop. I'm also a fan of just you know I've had very limited experience going to Croatia. I've been twice for the last two years for reboot develop, but everything that I have seen and granted, I've gone to like the most tourist destination of Croatia. Sure. In Dubrovnik, but everyone has been so kind, and I have made like truly like incredible friendships with a group of Croatians who are so lovely and wonderful. And so I want to root for their country because um, my country's our country is never going to win a World Cup. It's just not going to happen. Well, not so, the men, that's for sure. Yeah, that's true. Good point. Not the men. Not the men. Um, hashtag not the men. <laughs> hashtag feminism. <laughs> <laughs> the um. I heard like a little inklings of reboot develop last year, and then this year mm. it's like everyone was like super excited for it. And even Matt, you know, Matt Gamble was like, "Oh, you should, you should go." And I'm like, "I don't have a passport. Also, it's in like two, three months. Uh, yeah, I've never, I've never been outside the country, so I don't know. <laughs> Maybe next year." That's right, because you just recently like went to the West Coast for GDC, right? Yep, GDC was my my first time, and uh, we'll be at PAX West because just found out that the panel got in. So, yay! Congratulations! Thank you. Oh, That's did amazing. you did yours get in? Probably not. Oh, did you not? Did you not check? Because <laughs> well, emails went out. Uh, well, uh, I checked my email. Is it through your email, or how does it? How do you find whatever, out? Whatever, whatever email you like made your like PAX panel login with, I think oh, okay. is the email they use to email you with. Then I haven't. I mean, I haven't heard at all. Okay. So it maybe, but I would think that they would send you like a decline. Yeah, they probably. I think so. Okay, then I'm. I'll fully anticipate getting a decline <laughs> at some point. So, oh, <laughs> uh, what was <laughs> the panel fine. about? Uh, I submitted two panels. Uh, One was, I think it was called, You Don't Have to Be a Game Designer to Work in Video Games. And so the idea was to bring, like myself, like I've never actually made a game, but I've been in games over 10 years. Right. Um, And I've had like a weird sort of like career in games and sort of highlighting like there's all these sort of traditional jobs in games. And so like game designer, level designer, artist, engineer, coder, blah, 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 blah. Um, But there's all these other different types of 
spaces and games to work in. So for me, it's like, I guess technically the closest thing is like developer relations. Um, and then also like community managers or marketing or PR or like, you know, marketing for games is a little bit different than like marketing for like a movie and things like that. So like how, like how, if you want to get involved in games, but you're like, I can't code, I can't write, I can't art (laughs) and I can't design, but I want to work in games. Like, is there even a space for me? And I think that avenue of getting into games is actually a little bit, uh, Oh man, that was a good save. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think that avenue is even more interesting sometimes than like level designer or game designer. Yeah. Um, so that was one. And then the other was basically just like a basic Kickstarter panel of like, here's a bunch of people that like had a successful Kickstarter uh, project. Like, let's talk to them. And and what are the tips and tricks and the secrets? And like, the, the funny part is there are no secrets. <laughs> like, it's pretty The secret is luck. Yeah, basically. <laughs> the Luck secret and, like, is excellent timing. Yeah, and build your community and, you know, all this and stuff. And a good video. Like, yeah, have a good video, have a community, also have a good game. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of the weird thing, right? Because, you know, I, I talk to a lot of devs on here a lot about that kind of, like, weird. So, so I've had, like, Jay Tholen on, right? So he did Dropsy the Clown, and now he's doing Hypnospace. Both of those Kickstarters did really well. And then immediately after the Dropsy Kickstarter someone from Devolver reached out to him and like talking about publishing the game. And I was kind of like, you know, what do you think you did right? Or, you know, what, you know, how'd you set yourself up? And he's like, nah, like I, (laughs) I, I, I did the Kickstarter once and it failed. And then I kind of retooled it a little bit and then lowered the, the estimate. Um, and then it, and then it did really well. Um, I forget if he did any like more polish on the video or anything, but yeah, it's this kind of weird thing of like, you know, you know, Jay didn't really have a community there, right? So, like, there's an example of like not having community, but most really successful Kickstarters do have really big communities. So, like, you know, the the double fine ones or whatever, like right. huge communities, huge like name recognition there. So, I think there's a couple of things there, though. Like, so it's one of the interesting misconceptions about Kickstarter. Two things: one, um, Jay's an interesting uh, case, along with like a handful of other creators who. They came to Kickstarter their first time and they didn't fund, but then they like re- kind of tooled their project and then they did end up funding. And there's a couple different reasons that happens. Um, something that I think is really unique and interesting about Kickstarter is the numbers sort of say that if you came to Kickstarter your first time and you didn't fund, if you end up coming back, you're actually more likely to fund. Um, because, which leads me into point two, that's partially because uh, the community that you're able to build on Kickstarter, right? Like if you look at Kickstarter as just like a basic community building tool. So let's say that like you have an X amount of goal and you've like halfway met your goal. But let's say that that means that 200 people backed you. So that means you have 200 people that have basically said to you like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'll back your project. Yeah, cool. If you relaunch, I'll probably back your project again. So you kind of get to like ride that wave a little bit of like continuously building that community. And there's also this really interesting thing that happens where like we have this really incredible creator community of people that are Kickstarter creators that like have all sort of like run Kickstarters together and they're like, oh yeah, we're Kickstarter creators. But then there's also a community of people that are like, I super didn't fund on my Kickstarter. And even that community of people are like, oh, well maybe if we go back and try again, like it's almost like this weird like badge of honor to be like, I had a failed <laughs> Kickstarter, which is like really so funny take to me. that. 
Yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Um, but then on the community aspect side of things, like I also hear this a lot too from people that are like, oh, well, you need to be famous or you need to be like well known, like a double fine or Tim Schafer or, you know, uh, a Rami. I, I don't think Rami's never run a Kickstarter project. I don't think but so. Like, yeah, like to that degree. And it's not true because if you look at a project like Undertale, um, it just kind of came out of nowhere and it, really resonated with people. And it was right. really about like, Toby is a very quiet person. He really keeps to himself. He doesn't really want any sort of like recognition or accolades or anything like that. And so it's about having a good game and having a community of people that are like this for whatever reason means something to me. So having that community building and growing it as much as you can and responding to it and sort of like looking at it like a garden and like really kind of like watering your community. Um, that's really the key to it. That's cool. Yeah. I I think also Hollow Knight like obviously was a huge Kickstarter success and I don't think I don't think those guys were known beforehand. Oh, sorry, Croatia just scored. Okay. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so That's sorry. That's right. No, no, no. Okay. It's good. Um <laughs> but yeah, I think yeah, I kind of a lot of a lot of those different things kind of go into that that Kickstarter success. But I do like the idea of the collective like Isle of Misfit Toys kind of things like we didn't get in so take that like you know we're banding together when you said you know the likeliness of your second Kickstarter you know succeeding after your first one doesn't do you think um is there a tail on that is that like oh but you have to do the second Kickstarter within like three months or six months or something or within a year no I mean I think as long as you're not like relaunching within a week like I think it's important to kind of take a beat and just say like okay what did I learn from this right because like and and I I also just said it I said failed Kickstarter and so I actually hate that term because right. I don't really believe that there is the only time that you fail on Kickstarter is if you don't learn anything right and like I would argue that funding and then not actually like delivering is more of a failure than uh, not having your project fund. And interestingly enough, that's another like weird misconception from people is like, oh, well, you can back the project and it'll fund, but like they never actually come out. And we, the success rate, or, I'm sorry, the fulfillment rate is actually a lot higher than people think. I think it's, it's, we have an independent study on kickstarter.com that people can look into, but it's a, it's a, it's a decent number. I think it's like 89 or 90 percent of projects oh, okay. do end up fulfilling um but it's like it's it's just sort of the like whiny gamer bro <laughs> sort of situation really of like, tell well, me more about this person that i know nothing about especially in the past couple weeks oh god i know it's sort of this idea of like oh well i backed a project that it didn't deliver so all kickstarter projects don't deliver i'm just like all right let's calm down like it's such a generalization and well, I, it's like it's anecdotal bias right it's like yeah. well, this has been my personal experience therefore you know my sample size of one therefore it must be the the truth it must be fact yeah, yeah, and it's and I and I get it. It also is like it's easier. It's it, we live in sort of a like a uh, overly hyperbolic narrative. <laughs> so I understand that uh tactic. And I mean if you even look at like news headlines, it's like this person did this crazy thing and then you actually read the article and it's like, "Oh, it actually wasn't that crazy." Like, but you have to kind of get the clicks. It's sort of the same thing. Like, I'm going to make this statement because it's salacious. So it's it can be really, really frustrating. And so a lot of my job is really sort of like dispelling a lot of these Kickstarter myths. And I think like sometimes it can get a little bit grating and sometimes I can get really frustrated and, and kind of like angry about it because people like to be combative, like I'm going to prove you wrong. And I'm, part of me is just kind of like, 
okay, what are you getting from that though? Like, I don't like, cool, great. Um, but then the other side of it is like, I do kind of love it uh, more so than hate it sometimes. Um, because I get to kind of like, like switch people's perspective a little bit, like look at things from a new narrative or a new perspective, which is like one of my favorite things to do. And I'm not always successful in it and that's completely fine. But when I am successful in it, I've actually been able to like bring in projects to Kickstarter and sort of get people to look at it from a different narrative of like, hey, actually, if you like don't fund, it's it's not really a bad thing sometimes. Like a lot of times it can be really positive, but you just have to look at it from a different perspective. Right. But you still, you know, I'm sure those developers still have to combat like the, oh, I didn't fund therefore like maybe my game idea is not good or or this or that i mean there's still that that downward pressure they might have internally of, of dealing with that which i can i can understand i mean i think it's like a five stages of grief thing and then like once you just kind of accept it it's like okay i mean cool i didn't fund like that's fine it's okay like the world's not going to end you know and and i try to tell people all the time like if you are putting everything if you're like this kickstarter doesn't fund i will be homeless like don't do it (laughs) don't i mean don't do it number one don't do it but also like you need to be thinking a little bit and sometimes i think like there are sort of the personalities where it's like some people work so well under that type of pressure that they do end up like finding outside investment or things like that and so like as long as you know you're gonna be okay like that's fine but like i don't want someone to like be bankrupt because their kickstarter didn't fund or something like that so yeah i was talking to Teresa from uh indie mega booth uh And she was telling me about a lot of people have that kind of mentality about applying to any mega booth because they'll just only apply to any mega booth and won't apply to like, you know, Fantastic Arcade or The Mix or Indiecade or all of these other, you know, uh, showcases. And she's kind of like, why, why are you only putting your bets on this one thing? And, mm-hmm. and, and coming from the developer side, like trying to understand that mentality, I was like, well, it's kind of because... You know, some people are like, "Oh, my game's not an indicate game, right? Like, it doesn't right. fit that that motif." And then they're also like, "Well, I don't want to be an indicate. I want to go to PAX or uh, right. EGX or GDC or wherever uh, Indie Mega Booth showcases are." And they're like, oh, "So I only want to do Indie Mega Booth." So it's this weird thing where developers kind of self limit in sometimes very detrimental ways, mm-hmm. which they shouldn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's also like there's this there's to sort of piggyback on this sort of like continuously hyperbolic narrative. Like I think there's this idea that everybody's always like it has to be the biggest and the best. And so if you're looking at conferences, it's like I have to go to PAX because it's the biggest and the best or I have to go to GDC because it's the biggest and the best. When like I think I haven't I've only been to Fantastic Arcade once and it was very small, but it was um it, there were a lot of really incredible creators and people there, and I think it's I think it's its own conference now, separate from Fantastic Fest. Uh, um, it might be. I'm not sure. I th- I think it is, and so I I'm starting to realize, and maybe it's just because I'm like getting a little bit older, <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm looking at like I don't really I don't really enjoy these big conferences as much. Like I don't get me wrong, like I love PAX East, but it's also because it's our marquee like conference for Kickstarter, and I have the option of sort of like disappearing into the back of PAX East where our room is, so I can just like take a beat and like not be super stressed out. Um, but I also like for me, PAX East is not necessarily the going that I get a lot out of it. It's watching the creators that we're able to bring into our room and watching them interact. That to me is so much more fulfilling than the actual conference. But what I'm trying to say 
in a long-winded way, is that I'm starting to find um, a lot more fulfillment in smaller conferences, which is why I think people are so like complimentary to about Reboot Develop. Um, but even like I was, I was at Game Devs of Color yesterday, and it was it was very small com- comparatively right. to you know something like a PAX. But they had like three levels of games, and the games were just so beautifully like curated, and it was so fun. Um, the NYU practice conference was just so cool. It was great, and so these sort of smaller spaces, I'm finding there's, I'm getting a lot more out of them. Um, I say this every year, and after this past one, I still kind of believe it, although we'll see. Every year I say E3 is my last conference, my last E3, because mm-hmm. I just hate it so much. I just, it, it, I don't get anything out of it. I just go to the Devolver, like, picnic and hang out. <laughs> <laughs> the tarmac, the, the parking yeah. lot. Well, because it's like, that's number one, that's where all my friends are. And number two, like, E3 pulled some shit this year that I'm super unhappy about. Ooh, and so, like what? I'm, I'm not <laughs> sure on the specifics. Well, um, I mean, it's nothing like it's not like inside baseball stuff. Like it's all stuff that everybody else is complaining about. But just the way that the badges were sort of handled. This is the second year that I've had to fight them to prove that I'm industry, which I'm just like I really like. I have to fight you on this. I don't want to have to fight you on this. Wait, like, why do I'm, they doubt it? Because don't you get like an industry pass? Yeah, they don't want to give out industry badges because well, and I because they're scalping is, them, right? Because people come for like the first half of E three and then they leave, so they scalp their industry passes. Is why I, I what was happening? Oh yeah, I think that's part of it. But also, like, and this is just my own like conspiracy theory. I think what they're trying to do is so like they're losing a significant amount of they've been losing a lot of money, so that's partially why I think they opened it to the public. Right. And the public passes or something like $300 or something yeah. like that to just stand in like four hour lines. I was like, this is like, why don't you just buy a ticket to Disneyland? Like it's cheaper and you're still going to stand in a four hour line. Like <laughs> you guys must love lines. <laughs> like I don't really get it. Um, but my conspiracy theory is that they're not, they're very stingy with the industry badges so that, so that people will buy the thousand dollar business badges. Because they'll make they'll end up making more money, and so a lot of the like perks that you would get from an industry badge, a free industry badge, basically, um, you have to now pay for, or you have to basically just like fight to get like a media badge because the media badge is now like the really the only badge that's worth sort of getting. Right, that gets um, you everywhere, gets you access. Well, access yeah. within like the the times of the show because like I know industry doesn't get you into like the pre like people setting up their booths and whatnot mm-hmm. right I and mean, that makes sense for like exhibitor badges and things like that the other thing that i got like a little bit frustrated with oh god here we go here oh no oh no she's talking about soccer right now not yeah not, and they <laughs> scored E3. and france scored what's Ugh. what's what's the score right now france two croatia one what was that that's the fortnite day Oh, that's the Fortnite dance. He just did the Fortnite dance. Okay. Fuck that. I'm not- <laughs> yes. Um, so the other thing that I got really frustrated with, and like, I don't think this is necessarily E3. I think this is more on the exhibitors. But um, and I saw a couple people complaining about this. So uh, it, really trying to get rid of booth babes, right? Like as we should. Yeah. And 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 I have my own personal feelings about it. Um, I <laughs> Anya obviously loves don't- booth babes. Because I'm like the biggest fan of booth babes. <laughs> no, that's going to get cut somehow. Like someone's going to do something with that. It's going to be great. Um, I It is what it is and I'm not, I don't really like it. But what I hate more than anything is when people are rude to the booth babes because they're like, oh, you shouldn't be here. Like, 
okay, yes, I understand. But also, like, this is someone who's getting hired and, like, you're assuming that they know the history about what's going on here. That's not cool. Like, super uncool. So what a couple of people – what a couple of booths did is instead of hiring booth babes, they hired, like, um, actors to essentially portray uh, characters within their games, which is – cool in theory i've seen boys do that with like tracer and stuff at pax yeah yeah i mean this isn't like new this isn't like a new thing uh but it felt a little more excessive this year than years past um i heard there were some zombies that were and the zombies were kind of what i was going to get at so the zombies like there's a handful of things that were wrong with the zombies but what was kind of funny and interesting uh so there were actually two dueling zombie games (laughs) Okay. And so one set of zombies would like infringe upon like the turf of the other zombies. And I was like, oh my God, this is this is insane. But the Walking Dead zombies got super aggressive to the point where I watched a handler like physically remove one of the zombies from like a group of people that she was trying to just completely terrify. It was it was not good. It was not good. It was very strange. Um, And they were just – they were getting in people's faces. They were like chasing people around. It was – it did not feel safe by any means. And so I was like, I understand that you're trying to create an experience and that's cool and I support that. But like to the detriment and to – to a space where like already like talking about safe spaces is like very controversial within our industry and like the continuous like effort to make spaces more safe for people. I didn't think that someone in zombie makeup would sort of challenge some of that. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, especially in like an open floor play and like if, if they were like siloed booths where it's like you entered a space, it's like, hey, this is the Activision walking dead experience. Like, right, right, right. Yeah. You know, it, that's, that's it just. Yeah, it was really strange. I was just like, this doesn't feel comfortable. And also uh, for oh, what's what's the game with the oh god? I'm looking at my husband right now. What's the game? Uh, the Bethesda game. This is gonna kill me. Fallout. It's like no, 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 no. It's uh, a rage. Uh, rage. Rage two. Yeah. They hired two guys to, like, act as characters in the game. And, like, that actually looked really cool. But one of them had a fake gun that looked way too real. And he was, like, pointing it at people. And I was like, maybe we don't point a fake gun at people inside of a conference center where we just continuously got emails about how, like, there's no weapons allowed and we're checking everything and we're going to be, like, super up in your business. Like, maybe maybe we'd be a little bit more sensitive to that. And also, like, this continuous discussion of gun culture in the U.S. Like, just don't point guns at people. Well, it's like, especially, <laughs> like, at conventions like uh, PAX and whatnot, like, they specifically, like, hey, if you're going to have a weapon, like a fake cosplay prop weapon, mm-hmm. it has to either have, like, some sort of, like, tip on it that signifies that it's fake or it has to, like... I forget what conference this is. I don't know if this was like an anime convention or, or something or Comic-Con, but like they'll wrap it in like a peace ribbon or something to signify mm. that it's been verified as a prop. Oh, that's that's really cool. I wonder how Gamescom does it. I don't know. Well, I think Gamescom is like, and I've never been to Gamescom because I've never yeah. been outside the US, so I can't speak to oh, it right. like perfectly. <laughs> but I feel like Gamescom is where e3 is trying to get to and also should get to where it's like the delineated here are the public days here are the here are the industry days maybe i'm wrong um but i feel like that's a good model for gamescom from what i hear i hear mm-hmm. that's a good show 
uh, I don't know. Yeah, I went a couple of years ago, and it was it was definitely overwhelming. It was massive. I mean, it like it's like E three GDC and PAX at once. It's just it's it's a lot. Um, but I I remember there being a lot of cosplay. But I I this was two years ago, so even just like the narrative of like cosplay weapons has changed significantly within those two years. But I think I remember seeing weapons that looked very real. And I remember being a little bit shocked by it. Um, But it's also like we're talking about like cultural differences and like, you know, that's kind of why I'm sort of fascinated. Like is the gun – I don't think the gun discussion is as pervasive as it is uh, in Germany as it is in the US. So I'm curious to know like what sort of their official stance is on it. I'm sure they have – I'm sure they're like don't bring a gun in obviously. But like um, I'm just – whoa, those guys almost got in a fight. I'm just curious to kind of know like what their official stance is on it. Yeah. I don't know what gun culture is like in Germany or most of the EU. Yeah. Um, UK. I have a better, better kind of idea of what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. So when we were in Croatia, uh, I was in an Uber with uh, my friend Bertie and we were driving back to the hotel that we were staying at and uh, we got stopped by the police and I'm the only American in the car. Okay. And, I, and as an American, I <laughs> you know immediately what that means. like, yeah, I was like, I was like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. Here are my so hands, I like, here are my hands, here are my hands. Yeah, I immediately put my hands up and like reached for my ID just in case and like had my seatbelt on and everything. And so it was a Croatian driving and Bertie's from the UK. And they just kind of laugh at me and they're like, you're not in the US. You're not going to like get shot or anything by the police. And I was like, oh, right. I was like, then why are we being stopped? I don't understand. I know my rights. We didn't do anything wrong. We're not drunk. Like I just was like <laughs> full like craziness. And they were like, no, it's – and I still don't really get it. It's something that they just do in Croatia. They just, like, stop people. It's like, hey, how are you doing? Road. Yeah, I was like, I don't understand. Like, did he need to say hi? Like, Hospita- I don't- <laughs> Hospitality check from the police. Yeah, basically. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. Yeah. They were just laughing at me because I was like, oh, my gosh, cops. And, like, that's really – that's really sad that that's immediately where my mind goes. It's like, oh, my God, I'm – great. There's cops. This is a bad situation. Yeah. There's a um- – <laughs> couple months ago i think it was this year uh adriel and and rami were uh in florida they were driving i think they were they were going to disney world i think they were going to john vignocchi's wedding because it was on disney cruise but he put this thread up about how they got pulled over by a police officer and adriel just immediately like ran rami through all these steps of like this is what you do this is how you talk to police this is what happens um i can only imagine like especially him being like an arab man but also like not not from the u.s not a u.s citizen like cool imagine how that went over it's like hey can i see your id florida yeah yeah it's like well i don't have an uh, american id it's like well good luck uh, 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 (laughs) it's it's, yeah it's wild it's so interesting it's uh, and i mean i have to say like that's one of my favorite things about the the games industry is like for all of the bullshit that games can can bring to discussions of like cultural sensitivity and just general sensitivity and i'm speaking more from the industry standpoint i'm not speaking from like the fan standpoint right i have had some of the most just like thoughtful and in-depth and just like honest conversations with my friends in the games industry about 
these topics specifically of, of like people from all different backgrounds and and different cultures, like more so than some of my friends who are like, you know, they study this shit for a living. There's something about games. There's like, there's just this like really interesting sensitivity within games creators and people involved in the games industry for the most part. I don't want to like completely generalize, um, but at least my experiences, it's been really just so thought provoking and and kind and be like, okay, how do we do better? Like there's a continuous sort of narrative within people in our industry of like, how can we do better? Cause we need to do better. Right. Well, especially I feel like, like you coming from Kickstarter, you're talking to a lot of smaller developers and smaller developers and single developers, independent developers, you know, there, we, thankfully this is something I really like about indie developers. It's like, it seems to be more diverse. Like, so you, you, become more aware of like issues in the LGBTQ space or in minority groups um, from the perspective of creators, which I really yeah. like. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong. There's still garbage people. Of course. <laughs> I am one of them, but still. <laughs> <laughs> it's, you know, you're always going to have one bad egg, but, but I, you know, it, it's interesting to just have these types of discussions with people and be like, all right, like, there are good people out there. Cool, cool, cool. <laughs> <laughs> We're not entirely doomed. Yet. Yet. We're close. But <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. The, the, um, sorry, go ahead. No, did you have something to say? No. Okay. I thought it was interesting earlier where you brought up that PAX East was like Kickstarter's big PAX because my, def- my default is to assume that West is the big PAX for everyone. But I guess because you guys are East Coast based, mm-hmm. it makes more sense for you to kind of localize a lot of your attention onto uh, the Boston one. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, again, like you say, it's because uh, we are, so we're based in Brooklyn, New York. Um, Everyone thinks we're in San Francisco or LA, but we are not West Coast. Um, I think, I think people think that when they talk to me, because one, like it's clearly I'm from the West Coast based on the way that I talk. Uh, (laughs) I don't know. What does that mean? What does someone from the West Coast talk like? Do they say hella a lot? Is that the only signifier? Uh, I mean, I haven't said, I say hella very, very, very rarely. I used to say it a lot. My husband's looking at me. Do I say it a lot? <laughs> he says, thankfully, she doesn't really say it. Uh, but I used to say it living on the West Coast a lot. And especially, like, as, like, a teenager. Like, you just, you know, you your weird teenage vernacular. Hella rad. I say it a lot. It's like, hella rad, man. Um, I think the way <laughs> my husband's just hurting right now. <laughs> is your he's husband like, oh, from the God. East Coast? Is he from New no, York? No, he's so my husband was born in Michigan. Uh, okay. He lived there for two weeks, and then he lived in Eastern Washington. If I hold up the hand, what part of the hand is he going to point to? Do you know that what thing? Part, what part of the hand would you point to in Michigan? He's pointing here to the bottom of the palm. Okay, yeah, bottom of the palm. Um, and then he lived in uh, uh, Eastern Washington until high school, and then he went to high school in wine country, and then basically, like, he's sort of from Washington and California. So he's a West Coast. He's a West Coaster, okay. really. And you're from SF, or are you from elsewhere? Uh, so I'm from San Jose. Um, I'm from Silicon Valley proper. Ooh. Uh, yeah. So when I watch the show Silicon Valley... The first episode, I was like, is this a documentary? <laughs> because this is why I left. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can imagine how that culture is like down there. Oh, God. I mean, every everywhere that I went, and I am not being dramatic when I say this, everywhere that I went, a bookstore, a bar, a coffee shop, the freaking bus station, it didn't matter. Everybody had an app they wanted to pitch. Everyone's and got I was a side like, hustle. 
Oh, and and and, and I am glad that exists for people and like i mean the difference here in new york is it's like everybody's got a side hustle of like some sort of art thing but because that's a little bit more what i like i'm like okay yeah everybody's like an artist out here to some degree so like it makes me feel a lot safer but i just was like i can't do this like i can't live in this world where like i grew up with like going to punk shows and going to hardcore shows and going to shows and like going to art and like really being a deep part of this like bay area institutional like art space and it is just gone and I've just watched it fade away and I was like I just don't want to do this like this sucks like it's great if you work in games because there's a huge community yeah but also I feel like the actual artistry behind a lot of this stuff is just through these like weird like tech companies that are doing so much harm to the world than they are good like I just read an article I think it was in the New York Times which if you are subscribed to the New York Times, just like cancel that subscription, get that shit for free because they need to stop like glamorizing Nazis. But anyway, yeah, that opinion, um, that opinion section's gotten pretty bad. Ugh, I had a fight with the woman that I talked to when I canceled my subscription. She was like, "There's other articles to read," and I was like, "That's not the point." <laughs> <laughs> like, no, yeah, stop speak with writing your dollars. about. Yeah, like I'm speaking with my dollars, you monster person. Um, anyway, so. Uh, I read an article, New York Times, I don't know, something like that, where basically like these like tech giants are going to like private Burning Man parties. I was like, okay, first of all, private Burning Man parties have been happening for a very long time. (laughs) Yeah, I was about to say, isn't that that just Burning Man (laughs) at that point? Yeah, but there's also like, um, there's something called decompression that happens in San Francisco, which is basically like a burning party and it's free and you show up. There's tons of them. There used to be tons of where, like, this is the irony, right? Like, all these warehouses where, like, these DIY warehouses where, like, you would go to these burn burning parties or like burn parties, whatever the heck they're called. And like, I went to a couple in my, my younger days. Um, they <laughs> I was are now, hip. I used to be hip. Now I'm just tired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those spaces are now they're They don't, a lot of them don't exist anymore or they're very hard to find because the tech companies that want to be a part of it are pricing these people out of these spaces. So I'm just like, you don't really get to have your cake and eat it too. Like this isn't, this is not, this is stupid. This is ridiculous. Like if you want to have this like really cool, like curated space, it's going to be a lot more authentic if you kind of allow more people to be a part of it. Yeah. So and this is also coming from the perspective of like in my non-games Kickstarter life, I play a lot of burning spaces here in uh, New York in one of my bands. And it's so different than the West Coast, just the sort of like DIY culture. That's it's cool. really fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. Having traveled a lot this year, I've tried to, you know, because I, I live in Richmond, Virginia, which is not a big city. It's like 250,000 people. It's not huge. Like... Like from our biggest neighborhood down to like the financial district is like a three mile stretch. Like I could get there in 15 minutes. It's not a big, it's not a big city, uh, but I like it because like it, I've lived in Virginia all my life and it's, it, it, it feels big enough where I feel like, Hey, I can, I can walk somewhere. I can walk to a restaurant. I don't have to drive, you know, cause I'm from the beach, which was a like huge driver culture. Um, but you know, this year I've been like, all right, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna experience some big cities. I want, I'm, I'm going to Chicago for a day before I get on the train for Train Jam. And I'm going to GDC. Like, I want, I want to see what this is like. And I went to Chicago, and I'm like, all right, 
this is this is kind of cool and i was mostly only in like the downtown area i was like in river north or wherever and i was so i didn't see like a lot of like authentic chicago right i saw like tourist chicago and then i went to san francisco and you know obviously gdc is in downtown and that's where moscone is and everything and i was like i cannot tell the difference between downtown san francisco and downtown chicago like i yeah. it's like they're interchangeable yeah. but then once i started going to the neighborhoods like i stay with my buddy who lives in russian hill um and it's like oh this actually feels like a, 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 a you know a livable city this feels like some somewhere actually lives and then we like went through like hate ashbury one day i was like oh okay there's like some culture still left in in this town it's not just yeah you know giant com <laughs> yeah it's not just dot com well i mean i i don't really feel the techiness in downtown san francisco it just feels oh, like i do oh god i do <laughs> but i mean that's also from someone who like grew up I mean, I, I like people get mad. They're like, you're from San Jose. And I'm like, I'm from the Bay Area. I've lived all over the Bay Area. Like, sure. I'm not, I don't want to claim San Jose as my hometown, even though technically it is, but like, it's such a shithole. It's, <laughs> um, but yeah, like, but, I, like, it just feels like a financial district to me. Um, mm-hmm. but maybe just because I'm not that familiar with like what's going on and I didn't spend enough time there. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so I like, so my dad's from Brooklyn. My dad grew up in Brooklyn, Long Island. Oh, cool. And I've been to New York like three times in my life. And it's always been like, oh, okay, we're, we got a hotel on Times Square. I'm like, great. I don't, this seems like exactly where I don't want to be. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So eventually, like, I would like to check out New York because I feel like that would be an interesting city to like explore. Um, yeah. Well, I think everyone thinks that like New York is all Times Square if you've never been here. Right. And like, um, it, it's definitely not. I mean, Manhattan is overwhelming, but it's also Manhattan below like 110th street. And even then it's like, there's so many small neighborhoods within that. Like, you know, the lower East side is like similar to the East village, but it's technically different. And then the West village is different than the East village and blah, 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 blah. And then once you go up like a hundred above 110th street, you're getting into like, um, Harlem and Inwood and like all the way up into Inwood and Washington Heights is like fit, which is very, very close to the Bronx. It's like a bridge away. It's, um, um, Inwood in particular is actually this like beautiful neighborhood that no one would ever think of going unless you live in New York. Um, it's a it's it's a very diverse neighborhood. It's where uh, I think it's where Lin Manuel Miranda like was born and still lives there. Oh, cool. Yeah, and it's like you can have a you can have a garage. You could park your car in a garage where you live, <laughs> which is like in New York City. It's like what this is crazy. But you know you have to sacrifice because there's only a couple trains and you're extremely far. And yeah. If you, if you know, let's say that you're going from like Inwood to like where I work in Brooklyn, like taking a train, it's an hour and a half commute every day. Like that's, that's a lot. One way. Um, one way. Yeah. One way. Um, and then even Brooklyn, like Brooklyn, Brooklyn's like, you know, this Mecca of like cool and like, there's still a big part of that. And like Williamsburg is like very hipster, although now it's like tech hipster, um, which is a little disappointing, but like it is what it is. Uh, Greenpoint, where Kickstarter is located, is a little bit more of an older crowd. And by older, I don't mean like 60, 70. I mean like hipsters in their 30s. Right. <laughs> I've <laughs> been here. Also, I put roots down. Yeah. Like I have a child and I'm going to name them Hunter or something. Some cool <laughs> name. Or like, I don't know, Pigeon or something. <laughs> Whatever. My child Pigeon. Oh, God. I've heard some names and I'm like... And I actually really love the name Hunter. I don't mean to shit on the name Hunter. I have a friend named Hunter. Like Hunter's a cool name, but I do feel like it's a bit of a like hipster name. Or like sure. I'm gonna, I don't know, whatever. I'm gonna insult somebody if I keep going, so I'm gonna stop. Uh, but uh, it's also like traditionally a Polish neighborhood, so there's tons of these just like super cool like 
Polish bakeries where like people will, you know, it's like people from the old country that still live there and like put roots down. So Brooklyn has this like really beautiful history kind of intertwined with this like weird sort of like gentrification of like younger money kind of taking over. And then Queens is like, definitely there's a lot of that there, but like Astoria, which is, you know, an extremely diverse neighborhood where there's a lot of actually Croatian people that live there. So if Croatia wins, like Astoria is going to be burnt to the ground. Yeah. I was about to say, Not really, ca- but like cars flipped over. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a lot of Eastern Europeans, a lot of Greek, um, just like a really beautiful sort of like diverse place. Um, and, but there's, it's really expensive to live there now because people kind of realize like, oh, wow, this is a really cool neighborhood. So, you know, so let's people, gentrify it. Yeah. Um, and so my, my, my Brian, my husband and I, <laughs> my Brian, <laughs> my, my Brian, sorry, my husband and I live in a neighborhood called Sunnyside, which is like, I think it's like a secret neighborhood. I mean, everybody in New York knows about it, but, like, if you talk to somebody outside of New York, like, it's pretty rare they're going to know what it is. And it's just, like, this super cute neighborhood that's so quiet. And, like, you could, you know, you could have a car here. It's a it's a very almost, like, suburban sort of, like, mecca. And then you go deeper into Queens and, like, there's, you know, uh, there's, like, Forest Hills where it's, like, it looks like Hogwarts. Like, it's just – there's all these, like, secret neighborhoods in New York. And so – Times Square being this extremely limited, you know, Times Square, Rockefeller Center, basically Midtown Manhattan being like a very, very small version of New York. But that's what everybody thinks of. It's it's like the Bay Area as a whole. Everybody just assumes that San Francisco, the rest of the Bay Area is going to look like San Francisco. But like Oakland is is vastly different. Walnut Creek is like gross, but like it exists and it's very different. Arenda and Lafayette, you're living in the freaking mountains. And then there's the North Bay where like you can literally live in a tree. <laughs> right. Well, that was the thing. So like we came, we came, we took the train in, the train stops in Emeryville that we take. Um, uh, Emeryville, not technically a city. Um, <laughs> I, I neighborhood. guess it is. You know, uh, it is. It's just like Emeryville is just like, it's fine. It's like a joke in the Bay okay. Area anyway. It's just like a part of Oakland basically. Like what? Oh, don't ever say that. Okay. <laughs> I'm showing my ignorance here. No, Emeryville is where you either go to Pixar, <laughs> Ikea, or Target, and that's okay. it. <laughs> All right. Um, but, like, we stop there, and then you take the bridge over, right? And I, I don't know the name of that bridge. But, like, taking the bridge over into San Francisco... Oh, you, you can, see the Bay Bridge, yeah. Well, it's, it's, yes, it's the Bay Bridge, I guess. Um, but, like, you can see the Golden Gate, and you can see Marin County. And there are mountains, or I mean, I mean large hills in Marin County... And oh no, they're mountains. They're straight up mountains. They're okay. six thousand feet. They're huge. Yeah. Okay. Um. But like right on the other side of of the Golden Gate Bridge. I mean, those aren't that high because we went over and explored that part of Marin County. Like right. At the, oh, at the point. you went over the Golden Gate into the barracks. Well, I, um, we did. But I'm saying, like, when we were coming from Emeryville, I saw that part, right? And so I just saw topography going into the ocean, and from where I'm from, the beach is flat. Like there is oh, nothing yeah. like, yeah. you know, you, you draw going from like Maryland down to like North Carolina. Like there is no, no hills, no cliffs, no nothing on the, on the ocean front. And so I saw that and I was like, that's not real. That's fake. <laughs> like what, yeah. what is going on? It's beautiful though. It is. Like we spent a day in Marin County. It was really awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Marin is so interesting to me because there's a lot of like unincorporated towns in Marin where like. There's these communities of like old hippies that sort of gathered there once they were like they're done with San Francisco. And so there's there's like full communities that just like live off the land out there. 
it's crazy. It's so interesting. But uh, I there's there's some really really intense and fun hiking out there. Um, if you go to like Stinson Beach, which is a little bit further into Marin, um, that's where you really get into some of the mountainous territories. And it is it is hard. There are some hard hikes up there. Uh, the Dipsy Trail, in particular, is like it's brutal. <laughs> It'll kick your ass, but in a good way. You're like, wow, I definitely deserve the burger I'm going to eat now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. That was a bit. That was a huge culture shock. And then the other big culture shock was when we took our Uber and I looked over and the there was a Carl's Jr. and not a Hardee's, and I freaked out. I was like, what is that? That's fake. Yeah. Do they I feel like they're maybe maybe this is just in in the bay, but I feel like there was like a Carl's Jr. Taco Bell combination for a while. It was like a Carl's Jr. maybe green burrito. Green burrito. That would is make that sense. Right? No, I remember seeing that. I remember seeing that here like once or twice. Okay, yeah. maybe I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Did so I think the question I have to ask though is did you get in and out? No, I did not. I, I did not get <gasps> in and out. I didn't get animal style. I didn't. Ugh. I got super duper burger and that was pretty good. I don't like super duper. It was okay. I'm not a big burger dude. So. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I actually don't eat burgers because I don't eat red. I don't basically, I eat fish and that's really the only animal that I eat. I mean, I eat like some cheese and eggs or whatever. So I'm a, I'm a ovo pescatarian whatever i'm a pescatarian i like to say i'm a vegetarian <laughs> which i think is a little bit cuter dawning of the age of vegetarian yeah exactly um but i also like i am the jerk from california who's also been gluten-free for almost 10 years mm -hmm. so uh it's going out to eat with me can be a challenge i feel like i'm pretty good about it though here's like i always water. do my research yeah basically they're like here's some water and some celery and i'm like i'm good to go <laughs> yay <laughs> so i can only live on the coast because like i've traveled like i was i went to pack south to san antonio mm -hmm. and it was okay but it was really really hard actually the worst place for me to eat based on just sort of my like food uh allergies and and preferences which i understand it's a like for the meat thing it's a preference i just don't like the taste of it i think it tastes really gross um was japan of all places really yeah because everything is covered in like soy sauce uh, and everything's breaded okay yeah and so i was like cool and i definitely like something i ate something that did not agree with me um, and I like didn't feel great, but also I woke up one morning and both of my arms were just covered in hives, covered. And I was like, oh my God, what the heck is happening? And um, I was on this, I was, we were there for Bit Summit and Luke, the other half of games, like, I guess there's four of us, but I'm just used to saying the other half. But anyway, the four is very recent. Um, he, we like met up in the morning and I was like trying to like cover my arms and it, but it was like 90 degrees with humidity and he was just like, okay, what's going on? And I was like, oh, I have like rashes all over my arms. And he was like, yeah, I can see like what's happening. And I was like, I think I ate something. I don't know what was going on, but it was just, it was brutal. It was horrible. So it was just a week of eating rice. <laughs> I could get by on that. That seems okay to me. <laughs> oh, it was, it was, it was intense. I don't know what it was. So. Yeah, so Japan, I've, I've discovered, is one of the hardest places for me to eat. That makes sense to me just because I'm not a big fan of a lot of Asian cuisine. Like, Oh, interesting. Chinese, Korean, 
uh, Japanese Thai. Like I've never really liked. Um, I, huh. I like Indian food. Um, if we're considering that Asian, but yeah. Uh, well, okay. Can I ask? And this is I, forgive me if this is insulting. So I'm trying to ask this in a way that's um, how white are you? No, no, no. Actually, not even at all. Uh, my husband's super white, and he like loves Asian food. I'm, I'm. I guess I'm just. I don't because you're from Virginia and you've only lived in Virginia. Yeah. Is there a, a big like Asian population? Um, I would say yes. So Northern Virginia, there's a large um, Indian population. Um, mm. So like basically DC suburbs, there's a lot of a lot of very um, you know uh, DC suburbs. Obviously, a lot of wealthy people, um, a lot of very successful Indian um, families and everything. So like when I when I came to VCU, uh, which is in Richmond, um, it was. I had not, a, I never had a lot of exposure to Indian culture, and then Got it. I, Got I, it. I met a bunch of, of Indian people. There's a uh, there's a large, um, I would say, Asian population in southeastern Virginia, where I'm from, so Hampton Roads area. Um, my buddy Kenny, who's Korean, he's from Newport News, which is like the northern westmost part of Hampton Roads. Like mm-hmm. he said, there's 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 a lot of uh, Korean um, people in in Newport News. Mm. Uh, but yeah, I would say I say there's there's, you know, I've been exposed to that kind of cuisine, like living at the beach. I just never really liked it, and, and it might just be because I'm not a big sauce guy. So like fish sauce or oh yeah, sweet and yeah, sour those sense. kinds of sauce. Like so when you said like oh everything's covered in soy sauce and everything's breaded, it's like I can totally relate to that because like I use soy sauce in very sparing amounts and I don't I don't bread anything. So yeah, yeah. What's so so you don't like burgers and you don't like Asian food? <laughs> I like burgers. Like I'll eat a burger every once in a while. Um What do you what's your what's your what's your food preference then? I'm just um, curious. I'm I'm pretty I'm pretty bland and boring, like a lot of uh kind of pretty health conscious. So like I'll steam veggies or I'll eat hmm. veggies and stuff, steam some rice. Um if I'm eating out, Richmond actually has a lot of really good like um uh taco places. Like I honestly feel like Rich. I mean, and it's less locations, right? But I feel like Richmond's like fresh mech scene can rival San Francisco's. Oh, from, from wow! The, from the wow. small amount I've seen of San Francisco's. Wow, Th- that is a bold statement. I had a friend. mission burrito that was not good when I went, and I was like, "Well, this this is unimpressive." And maybe it was just a bad spot. And I mean, I understand there's like a million mission burrito places. Yeah, there's a ton. But um, we got tacos one night uh me and my buddy sam uh it was it was somewhere near like the touch arcade uh thing that they were doing one night um and so we got tacos i'm like these tacos are really good but they're only as good as the best tacos i've had in in richmond they're not like another plane of existence good yeah you know i have to say the best tacos i've ever had actually were from this like tiny little food truck at two o'clock in the morning in la uh, at E3. Yeah. Because they made it, they just had this huge mound of like fresh masa. So every taco oh, was like okay. freshly handmade. That's great. And I was like, I mean, obviously nothing is going to rival that. Yeah. Like, yeah. come on. You get the like the store bought tortillas. It's like, yeah, it's fine. But that fresh masa is like, oh, it's so good. <laughs> uh, the Grove has probably the best breakfast burrito I've ever had. That was a pretty good oh, breakfast yeah. burrito. That's where, that's where I learned about uh, Biz Bounce was the Grove. Biz Bounce, what is that? Oh God, you gotta ask Matt about Biz Bounce. <laughs> it's B I Z Biz Bounce. Biz Bounce, okay. yeah, yeah, it changed my life. 
I'll ask him. We're, I'm going to have him on soon, so I'll ask him about Biz ask Bounce. Him about, say Anya wanted to know about Biz Bounce. Oh, Anya said to ask about Biz Bounce. <laughs> uh, can we get a score update? How's the game going? It's still 2-1. Still 2-1. We're in the second half. Okay. Okay. How much time um, is left on the clock? Uh, how much time is left? 45 minutes. 45 so. minutes. Jesus. Soccer yeah. game's going forever. Well, I, you know, it's funny. Like, I think that's one of the gripes that Americans have about soccer. Or, I mean, I don't, I don't want to generalize, but I, that's definitely what I hear about it from a lot of Americans. It's like, oh, the games last so long and nothing actually happens. Because it's, it's a very low-scoring game, right? But I think there's – I mean, yeah, preaching to the choir here probably for any other soccer, football fans, however you want to say it. Like, there's so much that happens, and I'm just, like, exhausted watching them. <laughs> so I need a nap. Yeah. But I'm also coming from the perspective of, like, someone that really likes baseball. Like, football, I'm kind of like, oh, whatever, you know, like – it is what it is, and and especially of recent years with just like how the league is treating players and how players are treating women. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, mm, yeah. good, don't want to be a part of this anymore. Basketball, I can't. I just, I don't know. I think it's kind of boring. Sorry. No, I agree. <laughs> we only have basketball here in town um, with VCU, yeah, because we all have a football yeah. team. Oh yeah, I mean, I just, I don't know. I find, I find it to be really boring. Um, what other sports are there? Baseball, <laughs> I like. Uh, darts. Oh, hockey. Hockey. I'm kind of like, meh. It's fun if it's on, and I and I understand that being from uh, San Jose, where like San Jose Sharks are like gods. Um, but like I've only been to the Shark Tank, which is the name. I mean, I don't actually don't even. I think it's called the HP Pavilion now or something like that. But when I was growing up, we just called it the Shark Tank. That's a much better name. Yeah, I think everybody who's from San Jose knows it as the Shark Tank. I only went to the Shark Tank. For I've been there for two events that were not hockey related. Mm-hmm. I saw <laughs> my first like big arena concert, which was Alanis Morissette, who opened for. I'm sorry, uh, it was Alanis Morissette and Garbage. And Garbage like completely blew my mind, and we had like floor seats, and so all I remember from Alanis Morissette is just this tiny little thing with long hair running around, and I was like, okay, and like someone rushed the stage, it got really weird. I was like, I'm not into this. Um, and then I saw Disney on Ice. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now I-, I saw it in high school with a friend. Oh, okay. Uh, that no- makes it worse. <laughs> I don't know if that makes it worse. I mean, that that that's a high school thing. It makes one it would do. creepier, that's for sure. Uh, I don't know. I wouldn't judge a high schooler going to Disney on Ice. I could That's fair. Um no, I've gone to <laughs> as a child, I went to way too many Disney on Ice concerts. Concerts? Well, I mean, because it's a musical, right? Because it's like they do songs and stuff while they dance. It's not just the oh, performance. That's right. Oh, it's like the medley. Yeah, you're totally right. I yeah. didn't even think about that. It's, yeah. it's like they're redoing like one of the movies, but they're performing and then they're also doing musical numbers. That's a good point. Yeah, you're totally right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's got to exist in New York. It has to. Yeah, I mean, it was down here. I mean, I don't know how common it is anymore. I saw the ones I remember seeing were Toy Story and Tarzan. And it was very wow. weird seeing when they portrayed the part where Clayton dies in, mm. in the in the Tarzan one because they're like Clayton and Tarzan are like skating around the rink and then I think Clayton skates off rink and then they like <laughs> they dramatically like light the light so there's a silhouette of Clayton's like corpse hung oh, from the tree God. like in the movie but it's like stretching across the entire rink I'm like man this is like a kid's roller or ice rink thing this is this is weird 
That's so dark. Yeah. Oh my God. I'm pretty sure it's what they did. That's, I mean, that's dope, but that's also very dark. Oh yeah. Yeah. They went for it. Yeah. Um, All I remember from Disney on Ice, because this was like, I don't even know, 20 something years ago, because I'm I'm an old lady, um, was Eric, Eric skating with Ariel and I was like, she's a fish. How does she, <laughs> like, how is she skating? And Eric was, I swear to God, he was like eight feet tall. He <laughs> well, was they the, the giant gi- heads, right? No, no, oh, no, no. For they me, had, they had they the giant like, heads. Oh, yeah, no, they didn't. Uh, they might have had the giant heads for some of the, like, more animalistic characters, but for the humanoid characters, I was just like, she's a fish. I don't understand how she's skating. Cause I, I don't know. I was like, I need this. I, it's hard for me to do like suspension of disbelief and things like that, which makes me also like, I'm the worst. To go out to games. I know. And I'm also the worst person to watch movies with. Cause I'm just like, that wouldn't happen. Here's why. Or like, I don't get it. Like I need this. I need this to be explained to me. I need, cause I, it like, ugh, I'm the worst. This is why I don't like to play, a lot of uh i like to play i like to play a lot of like 2d sort of like platformer games where i'm just like put me into a world where nothing makes sense because then i don't have to ask any questions sure (laughs) but sometimes with narrative games i'm just like wait that character said that i don't hold on there's discrepancies here (laughs) so and i'm just a just a garbage nightmare i look forward to your youtube series uh Anya questions everything of me just going like mm, hold on <laughs> hey just you watch the movie and then record scratch pausing it like saying yeah. everything that's wrong with that scene uh well even little things like I remember the first time I ever saw American Pie couldn't tell you anything about the plot but I do know that early on in the movie there's a red cup and then there's there's a clear cup <gasps> and I was like ah oh, like how do we not see that? Or like when characters are supposed to be talking and like you just see the back of their yeah, head. Yeah, they're not they're, moving. Yeah. I'm like, come on. <laughs> that's, a, that's a pretty common TV thing though, I feel like. I see that more in television yeah. than I do in film. It's just because like, oh, this is the only shot we have and take yeah, too long to yeah. reshoot it. Yeah, it just, it. I don't know. I feel like there's, you know, the discrepancies I think is the biggest thing where it's like if this character had this in their hand or like, did France just score again? Oh, uh, it's 3-1. Well, this game was fun. <laughs> France is 100% gonna win this game that's fine um yeah I don't know it drives me it it really like irritates me I'm just like this was someone's job <laughs> lack of continuity <laughs> yeah like come on get it together but that makes sense you know uh well fine. you mentioned earlier that I think it's something very important to talk about uh your uh musical uh side hustle oh, your God, musical yeah. career let's yeah t- let's talk about sax Anya what do you want to know? Uh, what kind of sax <laughs> do you play? Pretending I know things about sax. <laughs> so I play uh, two. I play the alto saxophone and the baritone saxophone. Okay. So I play all. I play the the two main E flat horns. I don't play soprano, soprano or tenor, which are the the main B flat horns. Um, yeah, I've been playing for twenty four, twenty five years. Something wow! Like that. Did you perform at yeah. Disney on Ice? I did not. I don't think they would let me. I think they'd be like, you need to skate off. Just <laughs> you need to go. Let's continue out. Yeah. None of this happy sax before the Clayton scene, please. Please make it stop. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, that's what I went to school for. I, I, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I went to a tiny little uh, like liberal arts college in Stockton, California, and I studied at the Conservatory of Music. It was very small. I was only like 200 students. Um 
but I liked it because it was small and and I got a lot of sort of like hands-on um, teaching, which was really nice and a lot of playing experience. Um, and then I am actually one science class short of graduating. Um, and I, cause I was like, why do I need a science class for music degree? This is dumb. And so I just like, didn't get it. <laughs> um, and then I had to like immediately go into the workforce and start paying off all my student loans for this like very expensive school. Um, and st- actually quit playing for about six years cause it was a lot. It just was a lot for five years of just like continuous playing and auditions and like juries, uh, which is basically every semester you have to re-audition to stay into the conservatory. Mm-hmm. Um, and also I studied classical saxophone. It was like, okay, well, that's not a thing. <laughs> <laughs> um, and really like, unless you're willing to like teach or like get your doctorate, um, and for saxes at least like. Paris Conservatory is like the marquee place to go study. I was like, I can't afford this. So I went into the workforce and then, you know, obviously like got into games, blah, 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 blah. And then moved to New York City and was like, one of the things I told myself when we moved is I want to start playing music again because I just was like something is missing from my life. And that 100% is what it was. And so I just went in head first. And so for the last like like three years, would you say? Yeah, but the last three years has been this really interesting like journey of like relearning, not even relearning how to play. Like it's kind of always been there. It's like riding a bike, right? Like you just get on, you know how to do it. Right. But like really like finding joy from it from like different avenues. And so now I play in technically five groups. But oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. But they're not all always like rehearsing or performing. Um, one's on hiatus until September. Um, so my sort of like main thing right now is a <laughs> is a disco punk brass band called the Funkress Brass Band. Um, and we are sort of a concept band. So we're the band that rises from the ashes once the apocalypse happens. So it's a, it's a lot of costumery. It's a lot of makeup. It's a lot of showmanship. I love and that. that it's so fun. And like that band's really sort of allowed me to kind of like make mistakes, which like when you study classical music, like there's no room for error, right? Like if you have one wrong note, like you're done, you're over, like goodbye, have a nice day. Um, and with jazz, it can be a little bit more free form, but there is still like a structure with jazz. And with this band, I've seen whiplash, you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but with this band, it's like, you don't even necessarily need to sound good. It's about how can you get the audience to believe that like it's the end of the world and we need you to dance. And how do you convey that to a group of people who maybe aren't familiar with your music? And we play all originals with the exception of like one cover that we play every once in a while. Um, And like you can make mistakes and it's fine and it's fun. And it's also been good for me to like uh, essentially like get my head out of the page, meaning like, I'm so focused on like playing the right notes that are on the page where like it's basically memorizing stuff, which is really scary and hard and you just kind of do it through repetition or, you know, it's various different ways to do it. But then also like learning how to like improv and solo, which is something that got beaten out of me in classical school, right? Um, which has been really kind of like a, a really rewarding experience because my whole thing is like, I'm just like a general anxiety ridden person. Uh, and so being able to like have that, uh, artistry and like, you know, I, I know what notes are, I know how to play, but how do I do it when I don't have something to play where I have to come up with it by myself 
is terrifying. And and this band has really kind of encouraged me and really kind of forced me to a certain degree to do that. And it's been like, I feel like I'm a different player now because of that versus like studying an etude very strategically and like methodically. So it's been really interesting. Yeah. Especially like doing it from an audience or like any sort of like creative on the fly improv stuff, Mm -hmm. like whether it's music or, you know, improv comedy or anything like Mm -hmm. that. Like, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, it's all about like that one single performance. Like that's how I feel about like the Pax panel. It's just like, all right, this we got we got a hit, or, and yeah. then you know we got to pick it up and keep and keep rolling because like we can't just like all right, we're gonna stop. You know, the joke yeah. didn't land or like people aren't invested. It's like you just kind of kind of got to keep keep going with it. Yeah, I mean, I think that's like that's definitely translated. Did they just score again? France scored again. Now it's four one. Holy fuck! All right, well this was fun. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely translated into my work life too. We're just like there. Like, what I've sort of discovered is that it's it's really about confidence more than anything else, and you don't necessarily need to even believe, right? Like, you just need to ha- fake it. You can just fake confidence, and it's not that hard to do. You just kind of have to like lie to yourself a little bit yep, yep. and that's okay and and part of that is also just acknowledging like i'm nervous i'm this i'm that like whatever you're feeling is completely fine and you can fuse that into something like a pax panel where like you can say like i'm nervous right now and the cool thing about pax is like you're around so many other people that are full of anxieties and fears and and lack confidence to some certain degree and everyone's going to support you. Cause like, I think I, there's, there's a level of empathy there, right? Like if you're saying to somebody like, I'm really nervous right now. And if you say that on stage, you're going to get a lot of people to kind of like cheer for you and like encourage you a little bit. Um, and I, this is why I prefer to do panels over any sort of like solo talk. Cause I'm just like a weird, awkward person in any of my like solo talks that I do. But with panels, I can essentially in the terms of improv, like I can play off of people a little bit more and pick up on what they're doing. And that I think is just like, it's been, it's like so rewarding. And so it's just interesting. These two sort of like connecting worlds are so similar in so many different ways. Yeah. But I will say the idea of doing something like improv comedy will, I will never, ever, 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 like that sounds like the most terrifying thing. Number one, I'm not funny. Number two, like, I think you're funny. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. But like, oh God, no, that sounds like the most terrifying thing in the world. Well, it's like you have to do it for a result, right? Like there are comedy packs panels and it's like, okay, these, these people, like they have to get a laugh. Like for my panel, it's like, okay, I want it to be funny. And I want it to be entertaining, yeah. but people don't laugh. So that's like the experience I had at Pack South. It's like all these very nice Texans. Like we're gonna be very polite. We're not gonna. We're not gonna. We're not gonna laugh or chortle or make too much noise. And so like, yeah. you know, you set them up, and like they, nothing. There's nothing. nothing. There's just nothing there. Yeah, yeah. I think my humor is like a little bit weird sometimes too, and it can get a little bit dark. So I definitely have to like watch what I say. <laughs> this is why I like uh, spending time with Croatians. <laughs> Because they have dark senses be, of humor. Oh, my God. I can be so mean and so dark. And they just – they love it. They eat it up. And they give it back to me. That's the thing. Like, they will the, – it's a it's a give and take. And I just – oh, I like – I was like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> and they're just like, well, at least you weren't a Soviet satellite, so – Yeah, basically. We could deal with dark humor all day. Yeah. Uh, someone described Croatia yesterday as uh, the country of cabbage and sadness. <laughs> and I was like, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah i'm always curious because you said like dubrovnik is like a very like touristy like mm-hmm. well-kept spot i'm thinking about places like that or like um 
Sao Paulo. It's like, oh, it's like really nice and built up, but then you get like two miles out of town. And it's like steel drums of chemical waste and, and favelas and all this stuff. It's like, oh, yeah, come on. Yeah. Well, I think like, so where the, oh, Croatia scored. Croatia just scored. Now it's 4 2. They what? got this it. Game is, this game is off the rails. A comeback. Oof, barely. But they're, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, so I think the the cool thing about Croatia, at least for this conference, is so it's at the Sheridan. And the Sheridan is, I believe, like a recently built sort of resort. Um, so uh, there's these like really beautiful like hills that sort of uh, separate one. I, I, I'm not sure if it's like another resort or just like a small like city center something. Um, and uh, so Matt and Rami actually went and flew their drones up there. They've done of it a couple times, did. I think. Yeah. <laughs> and they've gotten these just like really beautiful shots. But it's sort of this just like if we're talking about sort of like kind of uh, putting a bit of a Band-Aid on sort of like a painful history. Right. So like obviously with like the war and 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 sort of claiming independence and things like that. Um, what's on the mountains or hills really is, uh, there are these old barracks that had been, uh, they'd been bombed and the remains are still there and there's, you know, people spray paint over them and everything. But once you get up there and you kind of look around, you're like, oh my God, I'm in like a barrack that literally has been bombed because of a war that really didn't happen that long ago. But you look around below you and you see this just like beautiful, pristine water, right? It's like it's clear and it's blue and it looks like water from Hawaii and it's just gorgeous and there's rocks and there's mountains and there's just like stunning Mediterranean sort of landscape. But then you also look around you and between the two barracks is this like brand new Sheridan hotel and like another hotel where like these rich people are sort of like sunbathing and hanging out. And it's like this really interesting juxtaposition between these two spaces. And I hope that they keep it there. I hope that they don't get rid of it because it it's like a little bit of history sort of being like, well, this actually happened. So let's not forget what's, what actually happened in this country. And it's so interesting. I heard that the, um, I don't know if this is, I'm assuming it's true because I heard it from a Croatian, but apparently those specific barracks are where the Serbians knew the Croatians would like to hang out and go to the beach. And so they intentionally bombed sort of the safe space for uh, the Croatians. Mm. So you're like, you know, taking that into context, you're like, oh my God, this is so intense. Um, and then also like, you know, knowing that's where like Game of Thrones is filmed. It's so interesting just walking around and being like, wait, I know this from the context of this like pop culture reference television show. Right. But then also like the history behind it is like, it's so cool and so interesting. It's just like, there's so much of like Bosnia, Montenegro, like all, you know, all these sort of like bordering countries. There's so much history behind them and we don't really get to experience as much of it as I think we like would like to <laughs> i would like to do more exploring like that yeah well you can go to the barracks in san francisco where is that if you go well i guess it's not technically in san francisco but if you go over the bridge and you go up into marin there's some old like world war ii barracks and so they have like you can look through like essentially like the barrel uh it was in i think it was used for star wars because huh. if you go into the redwoods like that's where all the ewoks live in star right. wars right yeah. like it's the same area yeah it's super cool the, we did go towards that lighthouse that's like on the tip. Um, where yeah, you, the lighthouse is really cool. Where they have that blast door and you go through it. But it was closed off that day because it was like Sunday or something. Yeah. there's So my favorite trail uh, over in Marin is a place called Pirate's Cove. 
it can get really treacherous, especially if it's like wet and rainy, like the rocks are really slippery and it can get a little bit scary. Um, but the hike is beautiful because you're basically looking over the cliff of a mountain, like right into the water. So like one wrong step and like you're done. So, but, <laughs> but it's really <laughs> but it, cool guys. It's really, really pretty. Um, and then at the end of the hike, you go down this huge mountain, um, it's like, it's like a thousand feet or something like that. And then you're on this like beautiful beach. Um, but it looks like a secret pirate's cove. That's cool. Yeah. It's really, really beautiful. That's really cool. Yeah. That's my home. (laughs) Anya, is there anything else you'd like to discuss before we sign off? Anything else eating away at you? You excited for PAX West? I am excited for PAX West. I wish, I wish they could, uh, get that conference center together but <laughs> i've never been so this is my first time in seattle so oh. what should i be prepared for uh so seattle's dope seattle is super cool it's a beautiful beautiful uh area there's a lot of hills so definitely like you will get a workout in okay um the conference center is a little bit confusing it's not like pax east like that conference center at pax east is so perfectly built yeah it's just it's perfect so pax west um you have to go through these like weird sets of escalators and the escalators are like always broken cool. so you're like right. cool right. well how else do I, do, do I get up there you put like four people in an elevator so i would say my tip would be get there early go up the escalators and just stay on the top floor like it, you can go down to some of the other floors basically all the other floors are like tabletop uh, tabletop and like conference rooms. Um, but if you're like a hundred percent video game focused, there's basically like, there's really only a couple, uh, only the place is huge, but it's really, there's only, you know, X amount of space for you. So I would say just stay at the top. Um, and, uh, there's like food in the conference center, but it's like, you know, it's going to be super expensive. There's tons of lines, blah, 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 blah. The cool thing about Seattle is, um, because it's, you know, it's if you like fish, Seattle is going to be great for you. Tons of salmon and things like that. Um, you can actually walk to Pike Place Market, which is again a bit of a tourist area, but like I think it's really cool and super fun. And you can get like incredible healthy options, just like salads and fruit and like this, these just like beautiful vegetables that are very like well known on the West Coast. Like a West Coast people were like, yeah, vegetables and fruit they last for two weeks. That's normal. Move to the East Coast, you buy strawberries, they come home, they're bad. I was like, yeah. what the fuck is going on here? Um, so I think Pike Place is really cool and there's also a neighborhood that on your way to pike place called belltown where there's like tons of fun options um i think what you and i should do and i i will i'm saying this now so we're gonna do it i'll take you out yes i will take you to my favorite mexican restaurant which is called mama's mexican kitchen okay i'm not saying the food is like amazing i think it's really really good and i think it's delicious but there's something about the atmosphere and the staff there that's super 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 cool um so i'll get a group of people together and we'll do like a group like hang or something like that cool yeah definitely yeah and then in terms of the actual conference like it's a pax it's another you PAX. know what to do yeah. yeah you'll be fine you'll see all the same people it'll be fine yeah i'm just scared about the the this convention center because like you said it's like multiple stories and aren't like the panel rooms like in a separate building like how does I think it work they're, oh gosh i'm trying to remember yeah they're uh they're in like different hotels Okay, so they're it. kind of all over the place, yeah. Just because I don't think they have the room in the conference center. Sure. So yeah, they're in like I think it's like the Hyatt and Hyatt and multiple other conference centers. Okay, or I'm sorry, multiple other hotels. Um, but they, they actually the the way the panels are set up at Pax West are, are 
pretty straightforward. Mm-hmm. Um, you just kind of have to look for your hotel and it's fine and it, you'll be fine. Oh, and then also there's – oh, God. What is the name of it? I want to say it's the Sheridan, but I feel like that's incorrect. Um, anyway, there's one main hotel that everybody kind of hangs out in as right. like the hang. It's like the spot. Um, so like the West Inn with, with East. Like how everyone hangs out yeah, in that Yeah, it's like the Western or like the W for GDC. I think it's the Sheridan. You'll you'll see it. You'll know it as soon as you see it. It's, it's very obvious as to which one it is, but that's kind of where everybody hangs out. So you'll see a lot of people like playing uh, tabletop games and stuff like that. And then uh, the sort of bar areas where a lot of people end up hanging out till like, you know, one thirty in the morning or whatever. Um, I actually have a re- really random story about PAX West, Do my tell. experience. So um, I – so – Brian and I uh, got kind of secret married. Uh, so we got married September of last year. So our like one year anniversary is coming up, which is really cool. Um, and we just sort of like decided on a whim and then sent a mass text to some of our friends. And we were just like, hey, do you want to be a part of our wedding that's happening in two weeks? And they were like, what? So whatever. <laughs> uh, and so there was no like – there was no engagement. There was no like planned bachelor or bachelorette party. And so halfway through PAX West last year, I was like, I think this is going to, this is my bachelorette party. I've decided like I get to hang out with my friends. I get to play games and I get to like, just like have fun in a city that I like. Cool. So I was like, this is my bachelorette party. And so it was just like the last couple of days of PAX West was me just like, just being a shit show. And it was great and wonderful. (laughs) Uh, But the night, so it would have been Sunday night, the, the, the night before the last day of PAX West. Yes. Oh, and also there's a Whole Foods close, kind of close-ish to the conference center. It's about a mile away, but it's a it's a really nice walk. It's all downhill. Okay. Um, and uh, if you're an Amazon Prime member, because Amazon's in Seattle, you get a really good discount, blah, 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 blah. Um, anyway, so I went back to my hotel, and it was like 2 o'clock in the morning. And um, I walked by this group of people, like, hanging out, playing some sort of card game. And I'm still in PAX mode right in my head. And I'm just like, I don't know what this game is. Like, what's this? And so I walk by and one of them said something to me. I don't even remember what it was. Something like, whatever, it doesn't matter. And I was like, oh, are you guys here for the conference? And they were like, what conference? And I was like, PAX. And they were like, we don't know what PAX is. And they were like, do you want to like sit down and have a glass of wine with us? And I was like, yeah, sure, whatever. So I sit down and they're like telling me about the game. And I was like, I was like, people look they're definitely not a part of PAX because I would have recognized them, right? right? Like you just recognize everybody at a certain degree. Yeah. And so I was like, well, then why are you guys here in this hotel like at two or three o'clock in the morning at this point just like playing cards? And they're like, oh, we're musicians. And I was like, oh, cool. So you're on tour? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, oh, do you guys play jazz? And they're like, yeah, yeah. And we're like talking. And I was like, oh, I play saxophone, blah, blah, blah. We're talking jazz or whatever. And I was like, oh, who are you on tour with? And they like get really quiet. And I was like, okay, what's like something weird is happening and I couldn't figure out. And so one of them's just like, we could tell her. And I was like, okay. And they're like, so we're, we're Mariah Carey's band. <laughs> and I was like, what? <laughs> and so I basically just like hung out and played cards with Mariah Carey's band as like my last night of PAX, the last night of a bachelorette party, quote, 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 Yeah. Uh, for like two hours. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. Very weird story, but one of my favorites. <laughs> and they, they were just playing with like playing cards or they were playing like a specialized like card game? Like, No, they were just, they were like trying to make up games. Oh, and okay. so once they, once I told them what PAX was and like what I do, they were like, oh yeah. So we have all these like game ideas. What do you think of this game? What do you think of that game? And I was like, oh my God, I can't handle this right now. Like, this, is, <laughs> this is adorable. <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then you're like, what's Mariah Carey like? Like, tell me about her. Is she cool? Is she... 
Was she like right. me? No, I, I have enough sense to be like, that's all they needed to say. Right. Never ask. Like, sure. Doesn't need to be said. Yeah. Because I was like, they will, they will tell me what they want me to know. Yeah. Right? Like, that's the rule with famous people. Famous people. <laughs> <laughs> like Anya Combs, oh, famous yeah. people. I am a no one. No <laughs> one knows who I am. I walk down the street and people are like, who's this weird girl? And I'm like, that checks out. Have you heard of Kickstarter? Let me tell you. <laughs> I know some things. <laughs> well, Anya, that's anyway. great. That was a great. That was a great story. <laughs> oh, good. Glad you liked it. <laughs> um, I'm looking forward to West. I'm looking forward to hanging Yay! out with people. It's going to be fun. Yeah. The uh, At East, I had like a posse. If everything else fell through, I could hang out with them from like my mm-hmm. local my local group. But here, I'm like, it's just me. So we have to find out some stuff to do. Oh, we'll we'll hang out. Sweet, it'll be great. Um, cool. Well, I think I think that's a good stopping point for us cool. for today. Um, thank you so much for being on. Thank you for having me. I I really appreciate it. No problem. I hope Croatia gets like a last minute victory. Uh, Hail Mary. That's what they need. <laughs> Anya, where can people find you? Um, you can find me uh, a couple different places. Um, mm. My home address is... No, I'm kidding. <laughs> just look for me in uh, Queens. Yeah, just Not look Brooklyn. for me in Queens. Probably running around somewhere. Uh, my Twitter is A-N-Y-A-Y-N-A. It's Anya as a palindrome. I thought I was pretty clever. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you can email me at Anya, A-N-Y-A, at kickstarter.com. Um, that's probably the easiest way to get in touch with me. Cool. Awesome. Well, if you like this episode and you want to listen to any of our other episodes, uh, they're available. You can find us on Twitter at Ward Video Games or on our website at ward-games.com. And you can search for Wardcast on any podcast app of choice, whether it be Google Play, iTunes, what have you. Like and subscribe. If you like this episode, give us a review. Anya, thank you again. Thank you.